Thank you for tuning in to Trinity Baptist Temple's podcast. I'm Pastor Kyle Dinsmore, and I pray today's sermon is a blessing to you as you continue to seek the Lord and follow His will for your life. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact us. God bless you. Amen. I'm glad I'm saved. Praise the Lord. If you have your Bibles, I ask you to turn over to Luke chapter 13, and uh, we are walking through this book, taking a journey with Jesus, answering the question, who do you say that I am? And uh, we've seen people uh, throughout this, praise the Lord, get saved, come to know who he is. Uh, hopefully we all have drawn closer to him through this study. Um, and I'm excited about this morning's message as well. We've got a, a great service, already had a great service, the music, uh, the message, hopefully our response to the message. And then we got another baptism this morning. Uh, praise God. Amen. Yeah, I... Um, uh, just look back and think, man, we are, we're using our baptistry very regularly. And that is, that's a praise to God. Amen. Amen. That's uh, just a, a great job of families, great job of ministries, and, and people sharing the gospel. Um, again, God, God's been very good to our church. We're so excited uh, to see what more lies ahead. I know we've got a lot of people out this morning, got people on vacation. Uh, there's graduations. There's all kinds of things going on today. But I'm glad that you're here, and uh, we're going to get to get into God's Word. Before we do that, I just want to remind you of a couple things. Uh, be sure to look at your bulletin. Uh, there's a lot of things in there. As Brother Jeffrey said, be in prayer for our, um, uh, both groups of our students, our Thrive Ministry, our young adults, and then also our student, uh, the young people, the youth. Uh, they're back-to-back trips coming up in the next two weeks, so keep them in prayer. Um, and also, as he said, there's a senior breakfast tomorrow for our seniors. Uh, there's also a sign-up sheet on the Welcome Center for all you men. Uh, we want to make sure all of our guys are a part of this if you can. Uh, in a couple of weeks, we've got a cookout like we've been doing the last several years. Um, so hopefully all of you boys, all you men will go out there and play some uh, games and eat some uh, good food and fellowship. But we need you to sign up so we have an idea about how many people are going to be there. So Last week... Um, kind of give a little recap on this. Uh, We saw a couple of very important eternal truths uh, in this study. The first one was this, that death uh, is our common denominator. This is something that every single one of us will face, and again, Jesus said this, uh, we will all face death, period. Uh, But we saw the, the very sobering and serious reality of death in that there's a second death, and that is the lake of fire. That is the dwelling place of death, hell, Satan, the beast, Um, and all those who choose to reject Jesus Christ offering a salvation right here and right now. Um, So again, we have this reality that death is our common common denominator, and the only out, the only way that we miss uh, death and that we have life, eternal life, is if we exercise point number two. Point number two was repentance is our coup de grace. It is our death blow to death. It's the only thing that works for us to miss death and, again, to have eternal life. That's the promise of Almighty God. Now, we have to understand what repentance is. We talked about that last week. If you were here, you remember. It's about turning away from something and turning to something or someone else. Specifically, what Jesus is talking about is turning away from sin, turning away from self, turning away from the world, turning away from everything, and turning to Him in absolute faith. And so this morning we move forward. We're going to look at two more very important truths, I believe, uh, that Scripture gives us. And I'm excited to see what God has for us in this. So let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity uh, to be here. Thank you for uh, 
your word already that's been taught uh, in Sunday school and in children's classes and, um, and also been shared already in this service. Um, Lord, we're, we're so thankful that you give us your word, that you give us direction in this life, that you give us truth, absolute truth. We don't have to wonder. We don't have to uh, seek it. Lord, you, you provide us everything we need right here in your word. And I pray that we would do that. I pray that we would seek your word, seek your face this morning with hearts open, with minds open, with spiritual eyes and ears open, that we would receive uh, your word and the message that's contained within it. And Lord, that we would respond rightly. And God, as we've prayed already, if there's someone here that is lost, that's never actually taken that step of repentance and turned away from sin once and for all and turned to you in faith, I pray that they would do that before they leave this place. That there wouldn't be one person that leaves this place today still headed for that lake of fire, and that everybody here would leave 100% sure that they're going to spend eternity with you in the new heaven, new earth. And Lord, we ask that you just move now, that your spirit would move uh, in a great way, and that you would be present, and again, we would respond rightly. And we'll praise you for all these things. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So again, repentance is the death blow to death. If, if this is something that uh, every single person has to do uh, in order for us to miss death ultimately. Again, this is, Jesus said, um, if you believe in him, you shall never die. That's what he told the woman in John chapter 11. Uh, but sincere repentance produces fruit, and that is in salvation and in sanctification. And that's point number one in your notes. If you have your notes, you're going to see sincere repentance produces fruit. Again, that is both in salvation and in sanctification, uh, the sanctification process of salvation, if you will. Salvation, we know that means that Jesus saves us from our sins, saves us from the penalty of sin, uh, that we don't have to experience death, as we talked about, that we can have eternal life, salvation. But there are processes in salvation. The first process is justification. The moment we say yes to Jesus, the moment we turn away from sin and turn to him in faith, in the sight of God, in the presence of the holy God, we are declared just if we had never sinned. We are declared righteous, holy, without blame because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Because of that, we are eternally secure in Christ. That's justification. It's because of his blood. It's because of his sacrifice. Because he made the way when we believe and we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, his death, his resurrection, then we are justified. However, Every single one of us who are saved are living this life, and all of us can attest that we struggle with things in this life, whether it be our own flesh, whether it be the world around us and world that we live in, or whether it be sin itself again. We struggle. There's things that come against us. There's things that we battle. There's things that we, we try not to do that we end up doing. There's things that we want to do that we don't do. Again, there's a struggle that we have in this life, and if we, as the children of God, are doing what we're supposed to be doing, Every day we're seeking his face. Every day we're calling on his name. Every day we're yielding to him to allow his Holy Spirit to work in our lives, to make us, to conform us, as the Bible says in Romans, to the image of his son. That's what God's preordained plan was, is that every single one who would be in Christ would be conformed to the image of Christ. That's the sanctification process. So that's why it's so important every day for us to get up, turn to the Lord, say, God, forgive me, cleanse me. I want to walk with you in right fellowship. I want you to work in my life. I want you to mold me and shape me and conform me to the likeness of your son every single day. And again, it comes with choices that we make. It comes with the decisions we face every single day at work, at home, 
at, at the market, at the restaurant, whether we are going to yield to the Holy Spirit or give into the flesh. And again, as we yield to the Holy Spirit, it's Him working in us and molding us into the image that He wants us. That's the sanctification process. So we know in that sanctification process, the third process, the third process is glorification. That's when we leave this world. That's when we are in the presence of God. We have to not worry about the flesh anymore. We don't have to worry about sin anymore. The glorification process is going to be amazing. But the sanctification process can also be amazing. One of the key factors in it being amazing and it producing fruit is repentance. Uh, again, as we are struggling with the flesh, we're struggling with sin, struggling with the world. We turn to God every day, as I said, and, and say, forgive me. Help me. And it's, and it's more than just the words, and we're going to see that in just a second. But it starts with the words, God, I'm sorry. God, forgive me. An acknowledgement that we aren't where God wants us to be. But to illustrate this point of repentance and true repentance, sincere repentance, uh, and fruit re, uh, being produced because of that, Jesus tells a parable in Luke chapter 13, if you have your Bibles there in verse 6, he spake, a, spake also this parable, a certain man had a fig tree. He planted it in his vineyard. And he came and sought fruit thereon. He expected there to be fruit in this, on this fig tree in his vineyard. And when he saw that there was none, he said to the dresser of his vineyard, Behold, these three years I come seeking fruit on this fig tree and find none. Cut it down. Why cometh it the ground? It's taken up ground space. It's not producing fruit. Its intent is to bring forth fruit. The whole purpose of a tree is to yield fruit. But it's not doing that, so it's a waste of ground, he said. He goes on, and he answered and said, Lord, let it alone this year also till I shall dig about it and dung it, fertilize it. Let me, let me, let me do some extra care. And if it bear fruit, well. And if not, then after that thou shalt cut it down. Again, a very real and very important point. We know that Jesus is talking to these religious leaders. He is also talking to other Jews who would put their faith in him, who have put their faith in, them, in him. But he's bringing out this very important truth that we see in our notes, that sincere repentance produces fruit. The reason why it's so important is because many people today claim to have turned from sin, to have turned to Christ in faith, yet their lives show no fruit thereof. There's no evidence that they have indeed turned away from sin and turned to Christ to follow Jesus Christ. If you were, we were to examine the lives of these people, it would look like they were still living like they were in the world, living for sin. And again, there's many people that show up in churches that try to re live religious lives that claim to be Christians, but they themselves have never truly turned from sin. And again, this, this parable is probably very pointed to the Jewish nation as Jesus was talking to them overall. But specifically, he was talking to these religious leaders who was already called hypocrites. And he's talking about them because they are the ones who didn't and who wouldn't, for the most part, repent. They were religious. They knew what the law said. They were the ones that were trying to kill him and try to get him sacrificed. They knew all of the practices. They knew what to wear. They knew what to say. They knew all those things on the exterior, but they were not the ones that were going to repent and produce fruit again. That's why he's telling them this very important parable. But this also gives us a very clear and important teaching about judgment to come. It's for those who don't sincerely repent of sin, those who truly don't turn away from it and turn to Jesus Christ, there's a real judgment coming for them. 
over and over and over in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. Scripture tells us that faith in God, faith in Jesus Christ, requires a turning away from sin and it requires a turning away from everything else. Sincere repentance. We're told that this type of absolute faith is sustained by fruit. It's, it's substantiated by fruit. It shows that this is indeed real repentance and real faith because there is real fruit. The evidence of sincere repentance and faith is fruit. James chapter 2, verse 17 James is talking to the, 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 the believers scattered abroad, and he says this, Even so, faith, if it hath not works, is dead being alone. Now, he's not saying that you have to do works to make your salvation complete. He is saying that works is the evidence, the substantiation of actual faith. When someone says, I have faith in Jesus Christ, it's not the words that prove that they have faith in Jesus Christ. It's the life they live that proves they have faith in Jesus Christ. And that's exactly what James is saying. He said, yeah, a man may say, thou hast faith and, I have faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works. How are you going to do that? How are you going to say that you have faith in something that there's no evidence to prove it? For example, you've heard me say this example many times before. All of you are sitting in a chair, and all of you are showing fruits of faith in that chair. The reason why is because you're actually sitting in that chair. Looking around the room, I don't see anybody in the hover position over the chair. Right? No, nobody's just squatting over their chair. Everybody has having absolute confidence in their chair. That's having faith. That's the fruit of your faith in that chair. Now, the opposite of that would be is if you just said that you had faith in that chair, then you would be hovering. Then you would be squatting. Or you'd be standing and say, yeah, I have faith in that chair. But again, the evidence of that faith is the fact that you're sitting in it. And that's what he was saying. I'll show you my faith by my works. There's fruit in, what I, uh, in, in true faith. He says, thou believe that there's one God. You do well. There is only one God. But the devils also believe and they tremble. They were created by God. They were kicked out of heaven by God. They followed Satan willingly. Those devils, those demons, they know. They saw him on the cross. They saw him rise again. They know that he's God alone, that he's the only way to salvation. But they made a choice to trust Satan and to follow him. They have not trusted Jesus Christ. They believe with everything that they have. They're so, they're, 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 you couldn't convince them otherwise. They know that Jesus is real. They know he's the son of God. They know he died and rose again. They know he's the only way to salvation. Those demons absolutely have the head knowledge. They know that that's the case. But what's the difference between the demons who are eternally damned and those of us who can be saved and miss that, that same judgment? We have a choice to repent, to turn away from sin, to turn away from that path, and trust in Jesus. That mean, what does that mean? That means to follow him. The demons trust Satan. That's why they're following Satan. You and I, when we trust Jesus, we follow Jesus because we trust him. And again, that's the evidence, the, the difference in our lives whenever someone truly trusts it goes on in verse 20, but that what will thou, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Don't you know that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by, by works when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar? He showed that he had faith in God by his obedience to God. Seest thou how faith wrought, wrought with his works, worked with his works, and brought and by works was faith made perfect. 
And the scripture was fulfilled, what saith Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness because of his belief in God. And he was called the friend of God. You see then that by works a man is justified and not by faith only. Again, it's the, it's the evidence of that faith. If you look at that and study that just on the surface a little, so I say, hey, you got to do something to be justified. No, 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 no. It's that substantiation. It's that evidence of the faith that he's talking about here. And so he goes on to verse 25. Likewise also was not Rahab the harlot justified by works when she received the messengers and had sent them out another way. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead. It's empty faith. Again, Jesus himself would say that bearing fruit is that thing that glorifies the Father. Not just bearing fruit in our life, but bearing much fruit. In John chapter 15, verse 8, he says that. He says, herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. And then look at that last statement in that verse. So shall you be my disciples. And so prove to be my disciples. So again, the fruit of our faith, the works that we show, the, the works of obedience that we display in our lives as we're following Jesus Christ because we trust him, because we have faith in him, those fruits, those works are the things that glorify God and show that we are the followers of Jesus Christ. Again, when we look at the landscape of the church today, specifically in America, there's a lot of people that say with their mouth that they're following Jesus Christ, but the evidence of their life doesn't show they're following Jesus Christ. They say with their mouth, I'm a Christian. What does that mean? I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. This is what I do. This is what I do. But it's not really what they do. It's just what they say. What they do in their life is do what they want to do. Do what their friends want them to do. Do what their coworkers are doing. Do what their family wants them to do. Do what the world tells them they're supposed to do. And that's not at all what Jesus is talking about. He says the fruit of your life, the obedience, the, the good works, because you trust me, show that you are indeed following me. John the Baptist, before Jesus was on the scene, preached of faith and that of repentance. Again, repentance, showing the, the, the fruit of it. In Matthew chapter 3, verse 8, bring forth therefore fruits Meet for repentance. Show, show me this actual fruit of repentance. And think not to say within yourselves. We have Abraham to our father. He says, for I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. And now also the axe is laid at the root of the trees. Therefore every tree which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast in the fire. Again, Jesus showed it. John the Baptist showed it. James wrote it. It's all about the substantiation of our faith being fruit. Sincere repentance produces fruit, period. And again, there's a very clear change. And again, it produces fruit when someone turns away from one course and turns to another. We have to understand to repent is an act of the will. It's not just an utterance of the lips. To repent is an act of the will. What does that mean? It means it's a choice. Every single one of us who are saved, who are redeemed, who are on our way to heaven, who we know that we are justified in the sight of God, that no matter what happens to us, we're going to heaven. All of us like that, every single one of us, at some point in our life, made a choice. Again, to repent is an act of the will. We said, I'm not going this way anymore. 
I'm not going to live for sin. I'm not going to live for myself. I'm not going to live for the world. I'm not going to live for anything or anyone else. From this point forward in my life, it's the end. It's the final word. It's the, it's the absolute direction of my life. From this point forward, I'm making a choice to trust Jesus Christ and go his way. It's an act of the will. It's a choice. No turning back. No turning back. But so many people think it's just a matter of an utterance of the lips, a prayer they prayed, something they say. That's not repentance. Again, repentance starts with the lips. It can start there. But it happens in the heart. You have to examine your life this morning. You and I have to examine our lives. We have to ask ourselves, have I sincerely repented of sin? Have I turned away from sin and turned to Jesus Christ in faith? And if you're here and you say, yes, absolutely, I've done that, then what the Scripture says is that there should be evidence an obvious fruit of that decision. There should be evidence in our life that we have repented of sin and turned to Jesus Christ. For every single one of us who have, you say, yes, I've done that. I know I've turned away. I've turned to Jesus Christ. If you're here and you say, yes, I've done that, then here's the sanctification process. This is true for our walk with the Lord every single day. The sin of omission, the sin of commission, those things that we don't do that we're supposed to be doing, those things that we're not supposed to do that we end up doing, those sins can find its way back in our life. We can realize along the way, year five, year six, maybe year one, year two, it doesn't matter, year 20 down the road, we, we find ourselves not doing in obedience the things that we used to do. Or maybe we slide the other way and we find ourselves doing some things, having some things in our life that we're, we're beginning to say and do and get involved with and those things that we're not supposed to be doing. Again, in our lives as Christians, we can see that sin creep back into, into our lives and we find ourselves needing to turn once again away from that and turn back to right fellowship with the Father. See, there's, there's no other way. There's no other way to have right fellowship with the Father. If you find yourself in that place where you, I, I used to do this, I used to do this, I used to do that, and you find yourself in that place, the only way to get back in right fellowship with God is to repent. Or maybe you find yourself here in that place of commission where you're doing those things, you're saying those things, you're looking at those things, you're being a part of those things that you shouldn't be doing. only way back to right fellowship is not to show up at a church service is not to just read your bible or to do the other good things if there's sin present the only way to right fellowship is to repent that's the only way and so if there's something you're doing and you find yourself involved in that this morning i want to charge you as a christian this morning you've got to make sure that either there in your seat or here at this altar you make a decision. You don't just have an utterance with your lips. You just don't say, God, I'm sorry. There's a decision that happens in your heart, a, an act of the will where you say, I'm no longer doing these things. I'm turning away from them and getting back in right fellowship with God. I'm no longer not going to do these things. For instance, the, the, the sin of omitting, witnessing, 
It's clear in the New Testament what the church of Jesus Christ exists for. On this earth, we are to be the witnesses, the ambassadors of Jesus Christ himself. We are here as his representatives. We are here as his voice in this dark world, the light to be shining, to bring glory to God. And if we aren't witnessing, if we aren't shining that light, if we aren't pointing other people to Jesus, and that is our job to do, that is the sin of omission. We are omitting something we are called to do, every single one of us. How to repent from that. It's not to say, God, I'm sorry for not being a light. God, I'm sorry for not witnessing and sharing the gospel with people. It's not just that, but it's an act of the will. God, I'm going back to witnessing. I'm, I'm turning away from omitting this obedience, and I'm turning to obedience. Forgiving someone. The Bible says, let all bitterness, envy, wrath, clamor be put away from me with all malice. Those grudges, those things that we hold against other people that, that, that we don't offer forgiveness. Again, that's a sin. And we hold on to that sin. We hold on to that sin in our life. The only way to get out of that is not to say, ah, I'll just forget about it. No, no, no. Because your fellowship with God is still broken. The only way is to repent of that. And the fruit of that the fruit of the omission uh, 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 of not witnessing, uh, the repentance, the, the fruit of that repentance would be to begin to witness, to begin to, to share the gospel with people that are in darkness once again. The, the, the fruit of repentance of not forgiving someone is, would be the, the kindness, the love in that reconciliation that happens when you do forgive. But there's fruit that happens when we forgive, I mean, when we repent. And sincere repentance does produce fruit. Let's look on to verse 10 back in our text. And when he was teaching in uh, one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and behold, there was a woman which had a spirit of infirmity or a disabling spirit 18 years. 18 years this woman had dealt with this. Had, had, it, it caused her to bend over. She couldn't, she couldn't lift herself up, the Bible says. Think about that. What a, what a miserable condition she was in. 18 years. A disabling spirit had her bent over. She couldn't raise herself up. And Jesus is teaching. This woman's there, and he saw her in verse 12. And he called unto her and said unto her, Woman, thou art loose from thine infirmity. You're loose from your disability. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight. Look at this. And glorified God. Immediately she was made straight and glorified God. Listen, when Jesus touches you, when Jesus heals you, the very first product is glorification of God. If it's the Lord's work, if it's his hand, that's what happens every single time. God is glorified. Not man is exalted, not, not some other idea. No, God is glorified in that every single time. Verse 14, the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation. Oh, he wasn't happy. Because that Jesus had healed on the Sabbath day and said to the people, there are six days in which men ought to work. In them, in them therefore come and be healed. And not on the Sabbath day. Listen, listen to this guy. He, this, this guy, this woman, 18 years, just was loosed of her disability. Jesus healed her. She was set free. She glorified God. It was an amazing church service there in the synagogue. And yet this ruler of the synagogue stands up with indignation, self-righteousness, and says, look, there are six days out of the week that you can come to this place and get healed. Don't do it on Sabbath day. Wow. Well, what a sad, what a sad condition. 
you know, my, my thought is this. Look, we're not Jews and we're not observing um, the, the, the Jewish Sabbath day, but we're here on a Sunday morning. We're gathered in the Lord's name. We're exalting Jesus Christ. We're turning to him and his word. And if God does a miracle in this place, praise God he does it in the congregation of the saints. Praise God he does it while we're gathering. He can do it all day long, any day of the week. He could do it. But for him to do it in our presence, for all of us to witness and give glory to him, that would be an amazing thing. But that's not how this guy saw it. This ruler of the synagogue saw that this is not right. God being glorified in the synagogue and the assembly of the saints. God healing somebody in, in, in our midst. Of course, he wasn't thinking that he was God. But still, God did something amazing. It was, you know, you couldn't deny it. And so he's mad about this healing that goes on. And look what Jesus does in verse 15. Then the Lord answered him and said, thou hypocrite. That's pretty blunt. <laughs> that's, that's pretty in your face. You're a hypocrite. I can imagine that man's... <laughs> hypocrite? You're the hypocrite. We don't, we don't know what's going on, but Jesus very pointedly turns to him and says, you're a hypocrite. Why? Why is he a hypocrite? He says, doth not each one of you on the Sabbath loose his ox or his ass from the stall and lead him away to watering? You just let your, your livestock go without water on the Sabbath day? Or, or do you actually go out there before you come to the synagogue and you lead your, your ass or your ox to water? And look what he says. And ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan hath bound, lo, these 18 years be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? If you loose your, your ox and your livestock to give them water, why would, you not, why would you not be okay with this woman being loosed from her bondage to be free from this infirmity on the Sabbath day? And when he had said these things, all his adversaries were ashamed. I would think so. What a point. And all the people rejoiced for all the glorious things that were done by him. Point number two this morning is this self-righteousness isn't interested in God's work. See, this ruler of the synagogue stood up and he was, he was self-righteous. He was full of indignation. He just knew he was right, that this work that was being done in the synagogue on the Sabbath day was against the law of God. He wasn't seeing the hand of God moving. He wasn't seeing the point of the law being illustrated. He wasn't interested in any of those things. He was interested in himself. He was interested in his own righteousness. He wasn't interested in this woman being helped. He wasn't interested in anything else because he was self-righteous. I mean, I don't think he was just self-righteous. But I'll think, I also think he was self-centered and self-absorbed. I think that's what, he, what, what mattered to him in that moment. To stand up and to rebuke the Lord was to make himself look better. Was to make himself sound more righteous. And it backfired on him. And Jesus called this group hypocrites now two times. These leaders, these religious people. And they were very clearly self-absorbed. They were very clearly self-righteous. See, they were all sure to take care of their business. They were all very sure to take care of their stuff. But when it came to someone else, no, 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 no. That, 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 you can't do that. That's not permissible. That's not good. And not only that, isn't a person, isn't a soul more important than livestock? Some people may say no. <laughs> Some of you say, no, my cow is just as important as that soul. 
Okay, I'm not going to argue that. <laughs> but some people would think that. Some people think that their cat or their dog is as important as a soul. I'm not, gonna, I'm not here on this pulpit to argue that point this morning. But it's just interesting that Jesus uses the illustration that the Pharisees, who were self-righteous, would lose their ox and their, and their ass to get water, but they would not allow this woman to be touched by the Lord. They weren't interested in this. They saw something wrong with this woman being helped. Again, they were selfish concerning the application of obedience. Think about that again. They were selfish when it came to the application of obedience in their lives. Not only were they not interested in the true work of God, they weren't interested in what God was doing, what his kingdom was about. They weren't interested in that, but they, just as Jesus already taught, would become a hindrance to other people entering the kingdom. So again, it wasn't just about the fact that, well, they're, they're just going to be lost and go, and go to hell for all of eternity. There was a bigger picture in this. The bigger picture was this. They were being a stumbling block to other people coming to the faith. And again, Jesus said that to them. And here he explains their effect in verse 18. Then he said, then said he, unto what is the kingdom of God like? And whereunto shall I resemble it? It's like a grain of mustard seed, which a man took and cast into his garden, and it grew, and it waxed a great tree. But look what happens. The fowls of the air lodged in the branches of it. And again, he said, whereunto shall I like the kingdom of God? It's like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of a meal, of meal, till the whole was leavened. What's he saying? He's saying what I believe is still true today. We become so self-centered. We become so focused on me and mine. Many of us can take the mindset of, well, they need to worry about themselves. I'll take care of me and mine. I'll do what I think is right for me. Let them worry about them. But Christ has made us ambassadors, as I said earlier. He's made us his representatives for him. So while we say, well, they need to worry about them, I'll worry about me, you worry about you, I'll do what I think is right for me, you do what you think is right for you, while that sounds okay on, on the surface to some people, the problem with that is this. When we got saved, if you're here and you're a child of God, repentant of the sin, like we already talked about, turn to faith in Jesus Christ, we gave up all those rights. We gave up all of it to say, I am now going to follow you. You've purchased me with your blood. I'm no longer mine. I am now a bondservant of Jesus Christ. I now have the privilege to serve the Most High God where before I was completely in sin. I couldn't do nothing for him. Now I get to serve him. I get to represent him. I get to see his kingdom built. I get to share the gospel of the kingdom. Again, we are his representatives for him, not for us. What does that mean? Even further, it means this. Not only do we represent him, as I said a while ago, we get the privilege of doing something for his kingdom. We get to bring others to him. That means people do, people will, and people should look to us as examples. 
um, constantly at our leadership uh, conference that we have in October, and our leadership, our ministry leader meetings, our elder and deacon fellowships. I- I'm always trying to encourage the whole group to do everything that we're supposed to be doing. To not give up because we are examples to the flock. We're examples to this church body. Leadership is vital. It's crucial. And leadership is example. Leadership is influence. It's the things that we do, the things that we say that people are watching. And, and, and when people get into a leadership position, they say, well, I don't want people to look at me. That's too bad. When you're a leader, people are going to look to you. They should look to you. They should follow the pattern that you set in your personal life, in your family life. They should see what that looks like and say, I'm following them because they're following Christ. Guess what? All of us as Christians, though, are examples to this lost world. Every single one of us. The world, they say, don't look at me, I'm the, I'm the chiefest of sinners. That's absolute, I, I, me too, I'm the chiefest of sinners. Paul himself said this, I'm the chiefest of sinners. But man, if, if, if we're doing what we're supposed to be doing, every single one of us are striving after Christ. Amen. We're not going to be perfect. We're going to miss the mark. We're going we're to fall short because we're still in these limited fleshly bodies. But if we're striving after Christ with everything that we have, then we can be those examples that other people look at and say, man, There's something different about them. There's something different about how they live. There's something different about how they're raising their kids. There's something different about them all together. The way they talk, the things they do, the places they go. Everything's different about them. That's what the world should see in the followers of Jesus Christ. So that means we've got to have an evaluation this morning. We've got to look at our own lives. And ask the question, am I contributing mostly to pointing people to Jesus Christ? In my life, in my family's life, am I contributing mostly to pointing people to him, a sincere relationship with him? Or am I contributing to people turning away from him? You know the reason why I'm not a Christian? Because the hypocrite's at that place. My son came home and told me that their son was. I, well, I went to the, the place, the, the hardware store, and they were chewing this employee out and using colorful language. I don't want to have anything to do with that, Jesus. When we're self centered, when we're self absorbed, when we're all about ourselves, you know what happens? We don't like the preacher to tell us what to do. We don't like anybody to tell us what to do. We don't like to be told what not to do. I'm my own person. I'm a man. I'm a woman. I'm a grown adult. I'm this. I'm that. I don't need to be told what I can and can't do. But this is just a surface issue that points to a more serious underlying problem. And here it is. We don't really want God to tell us what to do. That's the reality. When we're self-absorbed, self-centered, we're self-righteous, it really doesn't matter 
what the preacher says or doesn't say. It really doesn't matter what somebody else tries to help us in our life because the reason why is it really doesn't matter what God wants us to do. So no, no, I'm not saying that at all. But that's the reason why so many people have a hard time being faithful to God's word. To obey his word. Because we want to live our lives. Our way. And we want to sprinkle a little bit of Jesus in them. So we have assurance of our eternal destiny. But that's not the gospel that Jesus gave us. That's not the life. The relationship that he described every single one of his followers had to have. Matter of fact, that's exactly what he preached against and what he's preaching against in our text. That's what he called hypocrites out for. I'm religious enough. I'm doing enough good things. I'm, I'm okay. I don't need anybody to tell me I need to change something or start witnessing to somebody or, or, or start doing this or stop doing that. I, I, I know what the Bible says. I can do it. That's very similar attitude that the Pharisees and the Sadducees had that Jesus was calling hypocrites. And Jesus came on the scene and did a miracle in their presence, and they were so absorbed with themselves that they missed it. They just wanted enough to think that they were on their way to heaven. And again, I'm, I'm so burdened to think that's the reality of many people who call themselves Christians today. It's about what they want to do. I will go to church how I want to. I will read my Bible how I want to. I will witness if I want to. I will, I will, I will give if I want to. I, I'll, I'll serve if I want to or not. And I'll do it how I want to. I'll, I'll, I'll lead my kids like that if I want to. I'll do all these things like that because I've got enough Jesus to get me to heaven. That's not the Bible at all. too many people lost and headed for a real eternal lake of fire to play games for me to coddle for anybody to coddle to avoid the scriptural truths that are in God's word that tell us that the children of God are called to be living sacrifices unto him that's what we're called to be not self-absorbed, self-centered, self-righteous people who have enough Jesus to get them to heaven, but do what we want to do, how we want to do it, when we want to do it. That's not what we're called in Scripture. We're called to be living sacrifices. And too often we sacrifice Him once again at the desires of our flesh. Well, I want to do this. What does that mean for the kingdom of God? I don't know. I don't care. I, I want to do this. Well, I, I don't really feel like doing this. I don't, I don't want to be a part of that. Well, what does that mean for that lost soul? I don't really care. We sacrificed Christ and his kingdom. We set him aside. We set his church aside, the body that was, that was purchased by his blood. We set, set it aside. We set his mission aside. We set his will aside. We set his word aside. We set it all aside to do what we want to do and live the Christian life how we want to live the Christian life. Once again, remember, the religious crowd and leaders of Christ's day had done the same things to God. They had done the same things to God's word and his will. And his description, once again, of those religious people were hypocrites that were going to negatively affect 
the whole. Like leaven would affect that whole leaven. Like fowls of the bird would inhibit that tree's growth and its health. This sermon this morning is not preached as a means to discourage you and I, but as a means to urge us. If you look around the world, you know what happened this week. Tragedies, terror, loss of life. This world is becoming more and more mad. There are things on the news in our politics, in our world, that you don't have to go across the pond to see the craziness. It's here. It's everywhere. The world is wrapping up. We're getting closer to the end. And it's not time for Christians to continue on in a lifestyle that looks more like what the world says they should live or a lifestyle that looks more like what they want to do than what Jesus died to give to us. As long as we aren't willing to be servants of Jesus Christ, we won't be interested in God's work. Until we become Philippians chapter 2 Christians, we won't be interested. And as musicians make their way, I want to read it. At verse 1 it says, If there be therefore any consolation of Christ, any comfort of love, any fellowship of the Spirit, any bowels and mercies, fulfill you my joy that you be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, being of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind let each person esteem others better than themselves. Look not every man to his own things but every man also to the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. But he made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found as, in, in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of a cross, a criminal's cross, that wherefore God also has highly exalted him and given name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every name, every knee shall bow in things in heaven, things in earth, things under the earth, that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It goes on and it says, Wherefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Live it out with fear of God, for it is of God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Look at this. Do all things without murmuring or disputing, that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain, yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all, for the same cause also do you joy and rejoice with me. A servant doesn't argue or contest with his Lord. He, he submits and obeys. And I wonder if that's what our lives look like this morning. Are we living in submission? Are we living in selfishness? Are we living in servanthood? Are we living in self-centeredness? Are we living in sincerity? Are we living, living in self-righteousness? Eternity is real, but are we living as though it is? Jesus gives a lesson to describe the fate of two different groups at the end of this text. Those who sincerely repented, those who were his servants, versus those who played the part, were self-righteous and self-absorbed. And it's two very different des destinations they went to. And the question is, what group are you in? Are you in that group that you know in your life, I've sincerely repented of sin, I repented of myself, of the world, I've repented of all of those things and I've turned to Jesus Christ in faith. There's not a doubt in my mind that I've given him my life, 
But honestly, maybe, maybe you're here, maybe that's you, and you say, but honestly, it looks like I'm more self-absorbed than I am a servant of Jesus Christ today. Maybe you look at your life and say, I know that I, I'm in that group, but I'm more self-centered than I am concerned about being an actual servant of my Lord. I'm more concerned about doing what pleases me and what, what I want to do than I am concerned about making sure everything he wants me to do is done. And maybe this morning in the process of sanctification, you would come to this altar, sit there in your seat, and you would say, first of all, God, forgive me. I'm sorry. But then there would be an act of the will in the heart, a decision made. No more. No more. I'm not going to continue not witnessing. I'm not going to continue not forgiving. I'm not going to continue talking like this. I'm not going to continue acting like this. I'm not going to continue doing these things in my life. I'm going to turn back to you, Jesus, and I'm going to follow you. I'm going to be your servant. I'm going to, I want to be an example. I want you to use me. I want you to just, just, I want to be a living sacrifice to you. Maybe that needs to happen in your life this morning. But if you're in the other group, and you've, you know that you, you, you've said it with your mouth, but in your heart there was no, there's no decision, there's not been a choice to truly turn the direction of your life away from sin, self, and the world, and turn to Jesus Christ. Today's the day of salvation. Don't wait, because eternity is real. And it's too long to chance when you have an opportunity right now. So whatever God leads you to do, whatever is needed this, this morning, I encourage you to do it. And maybe you say, I'm trying to be a servant, I'm trying to be a living sacrifice, but I am, I'm struggling. Maybe you just need to tell the Lord that this morning. God, I want to be completely laid down for you. I want to be completely submitted to you. Whatever God leads you to do, I ask you to respond. Father, thank you so much for this time. Thank you for this, this message. Thank you for your word. God, help us to be real this morning. Help us not just to carry the badge of Christianity outwardly and not really live it. Lord, help us not just claim the name of Christ and not truly live for you. Help us be living sacrifices, Lord. Those of us who have put our faith in you, I pray you'd help us to be those servants that you've called us to be. Help us not to be playing games. Help us not to be hypocrites. Help us to be real. Help us be all in. There's someone here, Lord, that's lost. They've never truly given their life to you, never truly turned away from sin and themselves, the world, a life that they want to live for them and not turn to you. Lord, if there's somebody like that, I pray they'd come this morning and make that right before it's too late. Praise you for what you do. We ask and pray all this in Jesus' name.